to This Witch Reads, a podcast about a witch's journey to learn about magic and tending to the soul through books. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you what I'm reading, what I'm learning from it, and how it influenced my magical practice. Maybe you'll discover the book I'm reading must find a home on your bookshelf too, or you might realize that some of the ways my magic is changing is how you'd like your magical ways to grow and change too. Whether the book I'm reading is found at my local bookstore, in the forgotten corner of my own bookshelf, or recovered from an ancient source, I hope to learn more about my magical path through the written word, and I invite you to join me. My name is Dana DuPont, and I'm an art witch, a moon witch, a word witch, if there is such a thing, and the host of This Witch Reads. On this episode, I share what Demetra George's book, Mysteries of the Dark Moon, The Healing Power of the Dark Goddess, taught me about being a witch and tending to my soul. Demetra is someone I was introduced to when I started studying ancient and Hellenistic astrology, and whenever she is being interviewed on the Astrology Pack podcast I listen to, I love her vast knowledge of the stars and the goddesses. What a phenomenal woman and role model. I like looked up to her before I read Wisdom of the Goddess um, and the Moon, and even long before I read this particular book. So it was a treat to actually be with her words and stories for a while. In Mysteries of the Dark Moon, she incorporates mythological archetypes and transpersonal healing therapies and astrology as she explores the mystery, wisdom, and power of the dark phase of the moon's cycle. If you're familiar with me and Um, or my work in my Facebook group, Art Journal with the Moon, then you know I love working with the moon in my art journal for both personal healing and for creating the changes I want to see in my life. Obviously, any book on the moon is going to be interesting to me. This book was no exception. Generally speaking, as it describes in the back of the book, Demetra presents a lunar-based model for moving through the dark times in our lives. But honestly, the book was so much more than that. It shared myths about certain goddesses. It went over history and chronicled the events that led to the abolition and death of the goddess, the suppression of women, and it explained how patriarchal society changed our relationship with nature. I don't think it's a coincidence that I was reading this book and watching the TV series The Power at the same time. Both the book and the series feel like an explosion of feminine power. On page 62, Demetra actually refers to this time of feminine power as the return of the goddess. The book was first published in 1992, so I'm late to the party. I'm sure this will happen often on this podcast. As I've explained in the first episode, I haven't read a lot of books about being a witch until now. Instead of learning about being a witch from other people, I was kind of just doing my own thing with my art journal and with the moon. So there are many popular books I haven't read yet. This is one of them. I'm actually really glad I finally got to it. This book is not a light read, though. It's well-researched, long, and a deep dive into the subject of the goddess, which is lovely, but sometimes a little bit tedious and definitely hard for me to sum up because it triggered so many insights and awakenings. It was also emotionally triggering. I had to pause, 
put the book down for a while, regulate my nervous system a few times. It's hard to read about the root of women's oppression. It's also hard to read a play-by-play -play account of society moving from respecting and revering nature to dominating it. The fascinating thing about this book is Demetra was so very good at giving a chronological account of the destruction of the goddess and clearly demonstrating the devastating effects that destroying the goddess had on both women and men and the earth. Reading about it made me feel like when you watch a horror movie and you watch someone choose to go down the long, dark staircase alone, you just want to scream, no, don't do it, because you know only death and ruin are waiting to greet them. Nothing good will come from their decision. Except Demetra's writing about our history, my family's history, my grandmother's history, my history, and there is no way for my screams to reach the past. As hard as I want to scream, don't do it. Don't destroy the goddess. Nothing good will come of this. I know, they'll never hear me. Which brings me to what I loved about the book. Reading this book felt like someone put into words what I felt my whole life. I grew up in small French Catholic towns, and I grew up feeling very different from the people around me. I didn't believe in worshipping the same God that they were worshipping, especially not the patriarchal version of God that was presented to me. It just didn't speak to my heart or my soul. It didn't resonate. It fell off to me. Whenever I read about the ancient matriarchal nature religions of old Europe, my soul lit up. I find this odd and frankly unexplainable to my logical mind. Like, why does a girl from the Canadian prairies feel like she belongs in a society that reveres the moon and the goddess? It's odd to realize who you are is actually far more in line with ancient spirituality than it is with what you've been surrounded by your whole life. Why did I carry so many memories of the goddess with me in this life? Why do I know her so intimately when no one around me knows or feels her? It's strange having an experience that no one around you is having. I mean, I know I should be used to it. So many of my spiritual adventures have been experienced by me alone. Well, me alone and my spirit allies. This is the case with most spiritual experiences, I guess. They're typically solitary adventures. And me being off in my own little world doesn't just happen in the spiritual realm. It happens in the physical realm, too. The way my mast cells overreact, I'm often on unpleasant physical reactions that no one else around me is experiencing. So veering off on my own experience should feel somewhat usual to me. But still, most times it doesn't. It feels isolating. Not always, obviously, since the spiritual adventures I have with my angels, or the goddess, are transcendent and life-affirming and healing and expand me in beautiful, soulful ways. But there is something to grapple and wrestle with when you don't relate to those around you. And most of the time, I feel like I don't. I'm sure some of you listening to this right now relate. Thankfully, in my work, I've come across many people who I resonate more closely with. It makes me feel less awkward. Still, there's a part of me that yearns to live in one of those early societies Demetra describes in her books. Like if only to feel what it is like to live in a community of people who worship the moon or who worship nature together. What would it be like to be surrounded by people who believe similar things that I do or whose heart and soul speak a similar spiritual language as mine? I've had tastes of that sense of community, but not to the degree I imagine I would have living during those times. Demetra's descriptions of those early matriarchal cultures definitely caused me to long for those ancient times and those ways of being with each other, nature, and with the moon. 
don't get me wrong though, it didn't all resonate. I'm not into sacrificing pigs or keeping rituals and ceremonies cloaked in so much mystery, but I do wish the majority of people saw the earth as holy and treated her that way. Obviously, a podcast about a book can never truly do justice to the book itself, but I want to share some of Demetra's teaching that stood out for me and especially stood out for me this time around. I say this time around because this is the kind of book you can read again and again and learn something new each time, or at least have something new stand out to you each time. This being my first time reading the book, one of the teachings I resonated with was the idea that in modern times we fear the dark. I feel like I could write a book of my own on this topic, especially in terms of repressed emotions and shadow work. In my profession, I kind of tend to live in the shadows. That's where I help people when they come to me for an intuitive support session. We work with the map method to clear blocks and limiting beliefs and self-sabotaging patterns that have been stored in our subconscious realm, or in other words, in the shadows. So most of us have to do this kind of inner work because we grew up surrounded by people who repress their dark, heavy feelings. How the heck can you... Expect anyone to teach you how to skillfully navigate your confusing, overwhelming, or scary emotions when they were afraid to face their own. As Demetra explains on page five of the book, in our culture, or the Western culture, my culture, the dark is seen as terrifying. We associate the dark with loss, abandonment, alienation, failure, isolation, disintegration, and madness. In her words, the dark symbolizes our fears of aging, illness, death, and dying. It keeps our secret feelings of shame and grief and rage buried deep in the unconscious mind. Demetra also explains on that same page how society's attitudes towards people of color, women's sexuality, the occult, the unconscious, the psychic arts, the aged, and death itself are all manifestations of our fear of the dark. Our fear of the dark leads us to fear transformation or more specifically the point in transformation where are we, we are no longer who we used to be, but we're not yet who we're becoming. This particular in-between space within transformation is unsettling. I arrive at this point often when my inner healing work or the magic work I'm doing causes this dramatic shift within me. I want to change something in my life, so I work with the new moon in my art journal to declare that to the cosmos. Then I work with the full moon to deepen and amplify that intention. And finally, I work with the waning moon phases and the dark moon to dive into my shadows and ask my spirit allies for help tending to my younger or past life or wounded parts of me who don't like my new moon intentions because they don't feel safe to change. I dive into my shadows and do the inner work, and this brings on transformation, which inevitably throws me off into the void. I'm no longer who I was before I declared my intentions, but I'm not yet who I will be when my intentions become a reality. I'm in between these two ways of being, and there's things I have to let go of in order to change and become who I want to be. There's limiting beliefs I have to release. I have to stretch and grow and become something I'm not yet, and it's usually really uncomfortable. My body likes the familiar, even when the familiar isn't what I want. On the outside, my world usually looks the same, but inside, I change dramatically in some way. I didn't move or have a relationship and or experience any major change in my physical world, but inside, I'm different. 
an old unhealthy pattern died and can no longer be repeated or a new part of my identity was revealed and I no longer feel like the same person. Sometimes these internal transformations cause me to not know where I am. I'm thrown into unfamiliar territory. My inner landscape is brand new. It's like being in a foreign land where I don't know the language yet and I don't know how to navigate my way around. I feel lost and confused. Even when I know the changes are good, the unfamiliar is still unsettling. And it can be particularly unsettling to my nervous system. My brain isn't convinced yet that I'm safe, so it's on alert. It's more cautious. It has a harder time feeling rooted and grounded and settled. Transformations that we consciously seek out through doing inner work or practicing magic lead to this kind of discomfort, but so do external ones, like the death of a loved one, facing a natural catastrophe, or a major life crisis, or a relationship ending, or just moving, becoming a parent, facing a career change, confronting illness, or experiencing a life-changing accident losing your faith or changing your spiritual beliefs, making a decision that plunges you into the unknown, experiencing any kind of new beginning or any kind of ending or closure. And even as Danielle Blackwood describes in her book, A Lantern in the Dark, certain astrological times in our lives naturally signal transformation in whatever way I come to face, come face to face with it, whether it's self-initiated through inner work and magic, or it's imposed upon me by life and the unpredictable circumstances she throws at me, transformation is hard because it throws me into the unknown, which is another way of saying it throws me into the dark. But as Demetra explains in her book, life is a cycle, just like the moon. We're meant to experience different phases in our lives. There is a time, like the waxing and full moon, for energy to build and grow. And there's a time, like the dark moon, for energy to wane and decrease. There's a time to be in the light of the full moon and see where you are. And there's a time to be in the dark moon and greet the unknown and have no idea where you are. We tend to like the building and growing phases, and we especially like the light and the familiar and knowing where we are. We tend to fear, resist, and reject the waning and decreasing phases and the dark of the unknown. In the book, Demetra highlights specific dark moon times and suggests we learn to embrace them, do the inner work, and see them as a time of transformation, rebirth, and renewal. The dark times she describes includes things like the month before one's birthday, the winter solstice, menstruation, pregnancy and menopause, aging, death, and any time of personal loss. I was familiar with each of these dark moon times in our lives, except the month before one's birthday. I had never heard anyone point this particular dark time out before. But on page 17, Demetra describes how at some point in midlife, instead of looking forward to our birthdays, we start to dread them. We can feel lonely and overcome with despair during this time. She reassures us that it's a natural time for these feelings of uncertainty and fear to surface. My birthday is coming up and I think she's right. I hadn't noticed it before, but now that I'm in my late 40s, I kind of see what she means. 
My birthday definitely reminds me how much closer I'm creeping towards death. I know that's more morbid, but I think that's her point. On a lighter note, can I just say that after watching the TV series Dickinson, death has become a cool, dark, romantic man whisking me off in a fancy carriage with Emily Dickinson by his side. So I'm sure it's not all bad. In the book, Demetra not only helps us locate the dark phases that will greet us in our lives, she offers words of advice based on the ancient wisdom of the goddess. She suggests that instead of fearing the dark, we embrace it. Embrace the uncertainty. Understand you are in the midst of some kind of transformation, even if you don't know where it is leading you. Know the goddess is right there with you. You do not navigate the dark alone. If this applies to your culture too, remember that part of the reason you are afraid of the unknown is because the cycle of life has not been celebrated. Instead, death and annihilation are feared. We've forgotten life is a never-ending cycle of birth, life, death, transformation, and rebirth. As Demetra describes on page 12, all life emanates in spirals of circles as it cycles from new to full to dark and then again to new. The essential movement of all life is cyclic in nature. Life creates, fulfills, and destroys itself only to be reborn anew. The powers of healing and transformation are hidden in the dark phase of the cycle, and in ancient cultures this was represented in the dark phase of the moon. It came to symbolize inspiration, prophecy, and divination. On page 13, Jeremiah says the role of the moon was both to be and to become. It underwent death and yet remained immortal, and its death was never an end but a pause for regeneration. So maybe the endings and deaths we face in our lives are how we become something new. Some of the things Demetra suggests to do during a dark phase in our lives is to descend into the unconscious. And she says that on page 14 and find the secrets of renewal. Use it as a time of contemplation. Be curious. Feel your feelings. Don't bury them. Trust them. Use the dark phases in your life or the dark moon times as a time to cleanse, revitalize, and regenerate, as she describes on page 15. Realize it's a time of deep inspiration and a time to tune into your intuition. Draw inward. Be still. Make time to do the inner work. Face the pain. Heal. Meditate. Pray. Perform rituals. Seek truth. Confront the loss, grieve, rage, face the inevitably inevitability of your death, if that's the inner work that wants to be done. Withdraw, journal, be with yourself, reach out to the divine, bring your shadows to the light, face your fears, strip away what you no longer need. And like she says on page 265, access the deep insights and psychic power that are given to you at these times. Communicate with the spirits and return to the world of the living with renewed hope for the future. Restore meaning and hope to your world. Embrace the dark because that is how you accept the wholeness of your being. 
is what she describes on page 25. On page 266, Dimitra reminds us how important it is to do this, especially in these times. She was writing this in the 1990s, but obviously it's still so relevant. Change in our society happens so fast. And just as she said, people can no longer expect a predictable future, and in many cases, not even a safe or secure one. If all of humanity and the earth is undergoing huge transformation, which I think it is, and we resist letting go of the old and are afraid to embrace the new, it will only make these times that much more frightening for us. The dark times are stressful, but they are even more stressful when we resist or reject them and refuse to tend to our emotional or spiritual needs as we go through them. The journey of how and why we started to fear the dark is outlined in Demetra's book as the journey society took from a nature-based matriarchal culture to a dominating patriarchal one. On page 27, Demetra, Demetra explains how ancient cultures shared knowledge about the cyclical nature of reality, and they revered the moon in her many phases. They personified the moon as goddess, and they were taught to accept the dark phase as part the cycle. I loved that. The dark goddess was associated with the dark moon and she was seen as the renewer. They worshipped the moon. How lovely is that? And not only did they worship the moon, they worshipped her as a female deity. In fact, Demetra shows how as early as 40,000 years ago, there exists evidence that humanity worshipped a female deity. One of my favorite facts cited in the book is on page 31, where she explains how the sacred art of ancient societies has been unearthed to reveal over 30,000 female images made of clay, marble, rock, crystal, copper, and gold through old Europe and Near East. Imagine you're sitting in the center of a circle with 30,000 female images carved in rock or marble or crystal all around you, some dating back to 40,000 years. 30,000 sacred images of the goddess speaks to my soul. This ancient religion has a deep respect for natural cycles, natural cycles of the moon, natural cycles of the season, and natural cycles of women. The rhythm of the moon held a special place in the myths, religions, and symbols of the goddess. The moon was personified as the great goddess who ruled over the mysteries of birth, life, and death. On page 33, Demetra explains that the concept of time was cyclical rather than linear, and the cycles of the seasons with its phases of waxing and waning, life, death, and revival was the basic pattern of all thought. This means they had an intrinsic belief in rebirth. In Dermitra's words on page 34, they saw that just as the moon disappeared and then reappeared, so did the seed sprout, fruit, wither, disappear, and then reappear with new germination. There was no reason to think that human beings would be any different from the lunar and vegetative cycles with whose rhythms they lived in intimate harmony. As the moon's light remembers after its period of darkness, so would individuals be reborn into the light. This was the law of the cycle, and no power could prevent its turning. I love those words. The dark moon phase was the time between death and life. It was a time of darkness, 
stillness and the unknown, but it wasn't something to be afraid of because it was seen as deeply sacred and deeply necessary. The dark goddess presided over the passage between death and rebirth, so she was honored and revered. Dimitri explains that 5,000 years ago, so about 3,000 BCE, things changed. I'm going to describe a little bit of what happened in a collection of Demetra's words intermingled with my own, and I've done my best to illustrate for you where um, her specific words are. You can also visit my blog and look at the written version of this episode, which will make it much clearer. But on page 36, Demetra describes how tribes who worshipped a father god and who came from the skies and wielded bolts of lightning descended into Western Europe, the Near East, and India where these nature-aligned matriarchal societies existed. In Demetra's words, the primary enemies of this god were the peoples of the mother goddess, and his followers invaded, conquered, and destroyed the indigenous goddess cultures. Wow. Large-scale destruction of Neolithic cultures of Europe and the Near East happened. On that same page, she continues to explain how the goddess-worshipping people, and these are her words, were raped, slaughtered, their homes and communities pillaged and burned, their values and beliefs suppressed, they were enslaved, exploited, and exiled. The patriarchal tribes quickly rose to power and built their civilizations upon the ruins of the peoples whose lives were attuned to the rhythms of the earth as mother, and the moon as goddess. They imposed their ideologies and ways of life on the peoples and the land they conquered. These invading tribes were based on a dominator model of social organization, and I love how Demetra points that out. Um, They wanted to build wealth by destruction, not by production. The conquering men supplanted women as religious and political leaders. Goddess became a secondary figure. In Demetrius' words on page 29, when humanity shifted its allegiance to the worship of solar gods, the symbols of the goddess began to disappear from Western culture and her teachings became forgotten, repressed, or distorted. God was now the creator. I guess and interestingly enough what i noticed in in the stories that she shared was that the creative myths took on some strange qualities like gods giving birth from their heads and women women being made from man's ribs the myths of creation no longer reflected what we see in nature the wars against the goddess were conceptualized as battles between the forces of light and darkness which contributed to racial equality inequality. For instance, on page 38, Demetra explains how in India, the light-skinned Aryans from the north took over the matriarchal dark-skinned Dravidians from the south. They instituted the caste system in order to keep the dark-skinned goddess-worshipping peoples subordinate, subordinated in the lower castes. So I guess even in myths, the goddesses became powerless. As Demetra states on page 37, they only had power through their husbands. I feel like that quote, they only had power through their husbands, can like sum up so many years of women's lives. And in life, royal bloodlines were now transformed through 
patriarchal bloodlines, not matriarchal bloodlines. The goddess who was once loved and seen as good and helpful became the destroyer. The consequence, of course, of all this domination, of course, trickled down onto women over the millennia. On page 38, Demetra describes how, as the goddess became distorted from an image of the compassionate mother, the source and sustainer of all life, into a symbol associated with the forces of darkness and evil, women, her earthly manifestations, were likewise considered impure, evil, and guilty of original sin, people who must be punished. They, too, became the property of their fathers and husbands. In classical Greece, hailed as the birthplace of democracy, women were deprived of their citizenship, of the right to vote. All of these things were so difficult to read. And the passing of their names to their children. Women were considered unworthy of meaningful emotional and intellectual relationships. Their only function was that of bearing legitimate children who could inherit property. On page 39, Demetra explains how by the Middle Ages, the Inquisition and witch hunts systematically eliminated all those who continued to remember, practice, and pass on knowledge of the old religion. Midwives, healers, and diviners, the ancient devotees of the goddess, were branded as witches. They were persecuted, murdered, and their properties and holdings confiscated by the church. That was just a really, really hard um, there was just really lots of hard parts like that to read in the book because it's a hard history to digest. On page 40, Demetra explains how humanity lost sight of the roles of sex and death as intrinsic parts of renewal that reside in the dark phase of the cyclical process. And belief in cyclical renewal was tantamount to heresy. On page 43, she explains how today the teaching of the dark moon and the dark goddess are rejected. Things like divination, magic, healing, sacred sexuality, spirit allies, non-physical dimensions of being, and the mysteries of birth, death, and regeneration are not seen as legitimate areas of study. The dark moon and the dark feminine have been ostracized. Negative feminine archetypes are common such as like the bitch, the slut, the terrible mother, the bossy woman, the wicked witch, the domineering mother, the bag lady or the ugly hag. There are many. And this oppression and belittling of women is what I witnessed in my own society and family. Women did not feel confident enough to leave abusive husbands. Sons received favors that daughters did not. Women planned and slaved over holidays, meals, and the dishes when the meal was done while the men sat on the sofas and rested, never offering to help. In my childhood religion, there were hierarchies of power that started with the Pope and ran down to the man of the house. It was gross and oppressive. Intuition was whispered about because you weren't allowed to use it. You could never know if you were being influenced by the devil after all. Only a man in power could discern whether or not you were following the right light. Like, that's so gross, it makes my stomach turn. It's so ridiculous and also so very convenient for old white men in power. My mother told me that in her time, they were told they could not read the Bible on their own. They had to let the priest interpret the Bible for them because they might misunderstand what they're reading. You could not trust your own thoughts. Again, super convenient for old white men in power. Sorry. My stomach hates this. 
let's regulate a little here in case your nervous system is getting all activated like mine does. Let's think about our arms and our legs. Like maybe even give your arms a little squeeze or give your legs a little rub or scrunch your toes like you're standing in warm sand. Let's take a couple deep breaths. I get so activated when I think of how oppressive it's been for women in my family and how very okay most people, including women, have been with this fact. We've been conditioned to be nice, accommodating, and agreeable. We're scared of rocking the boat or making a fuss. I get it. I'm scared most of the time. I get scared of the same things because I was raised in that same gross soup after all, but I don't agree with it. And over my lifetime, I want to do the inner work to have a strong spine and a strong voice. Being a nice, submissive woman who doesn't speak up just isn't my idea of wise or healthy way to be. But Demetra's book was so enlightening in showing me exactly how we got here. Repressing these natural parts of ourselves for thousands of years and dominating women gave us negative feminine archetypes, made us fear the natural mysteries of life, made us fear sex, death, magic, divination, and made us repress our natural desires and emotions. So, of course, it's now all one big hot mess. And as Dramitra explains on page 48, the more narrow and restrictive the society in which we live, the larger will be the collective shadow. And I'm afraid our collective shadow has grown horrifyingly big. What I learned from Mysteries of the Dark Moon is that the difference between the ancient goddess and nature-based religions and the newer male-dominated ones that came in in the West was that the goddess religions revered life. They didn't try to dominate it. In Demetra's words on page 77, the kernel of this seed vision was reverence for the mystery of the life-giving powers of the universe and an intention to decipher the secrets of how it is that life is created, sustained, and regenerated. This veneration for life included not only humans, but also plants, animals, the earth upon which they all resided, and the heavens which linked them to the universe. This reverence for the life force carried over into reverence for women. I love those words of Demetra and how they really point out to where a significant problem started to arise. She sums up that on page 78 by saying the central concern for goddess and nature-based religions was how to keep the life force alive and continuous. This is such great words of hers. Imagine if that was the central operating concern of our present day society. Like, imagine if before any decision was made, we had to ask, will this keep the life force alive? As Demetra argues on page 88, when all of life and its inhabitants are valued, there is no need for any one person or single nature or culture to enforce and maintain a stance superiority and domination i feel like her words there maybe should like i don't know become some doctrine that we all kind of plaster somewhere as important and build a statue around and really start to listen to but this also um brings me to some questions i was left with after reading the book 
As Dimitri explains in her book, the ancient matriarchal cultures were invaded by cultures that believed differently and oppressed their spiritual practices. So the invading cultures were based more on a power structure of domination. But I was left wondering, like, were those invading cultures always based on a power structure of domination, even before they invaded the ancient matriarchal cultures? Who were they exactly? And why did that oppressive and dominant way of being take such a strong footing? Was it because they were violent and forceful? That oppressive, dominating power structure has existed for 5,000 years, as Demetra outlines. But for 35,000 years, things were different in the ancient Western cultures who worshipped the moon and the cycles in nature. Can our modern Western culture change to be less violent, oppressive, superior, and domineering? I confess I have long believed it could not, but Demetra's book gives me a little hope. There have always been cultures who think differently than the patriarchal one that dominates my culture today. And there have always been ones that have existed for thousands and thousands of years. So why not? Why can't things change again? On page 62, Demetrius suggests that they already are changing. She explains that the death of the goddess in the last 5,000 years happened as a natural part of a larger cycle. And we are now in a phase many are referring to as the return of the goddess. She also hypothesized that perhaps abolition and death of the goddess in our culture is a natural part of her cycle and was the goddess herself retreating into her own dark moon phase so that she could return in a new way, which Demetra suggests is what's happening now, her rebirth. I loved this way of looking at all the chaos and collapse and transformation we're currently seeing in the world. She goes on to explain how we are discovering and remembering her myths, her symbols, and her rituals. A more compassionate approach to death and dying has been entering the mainstream. Our sexuality is coming out of the closet of repression. Healing energies are awaking, awakening within us. More people realize our interdependence with the Earth Mother, whose body supports our existence. Hello. Women's spirituality is being reborn and women's liberation is underway. On page 89, Demetra argues that over the last 5,000 years, the change from goddess religions to ones that seek to dominate and suppress the feminine was the goddess entering her dark faces where she retreated and disappeared in order to heal, transform and renew herself for another round of growth. On page 100, she explains how with the return of the goddess, the wound that now wants to be healed is the horrors we faced during the time of polarizing the male against the female, including the war between the male and the female within our own individual selves. If we can heal and change how we react to one another today and form some loving relationships, we will experience fusion and integration and heal the wounds that existed. Finally, on page 101, Demetra surmises that the goddess can then restore balance, wholeness, and well-being to the earth and her inhabitants. This is an extremely positive outlook that I deeply would love to believe in. The way Demetra ties this history of the goddess and her journey from being worshipped to being destroyed 
to astrological cycles is enlightening and gave me a little bit of hope. I'm not going to explain it all here, but it is definitely worth the read. And since I love the moon and astrology was something I found really, really interesting. So you might too, if you like those things. In the end, though, it made me realize that if the death of the goddess in the last 5,000 years is part of a much larger natural cycle, perhaps I can trust some of the unpredictable, uncertain times I find myself in now. And if the death of the goddess is part of a larger 40,000-year cycle that has eight eight phases of 5,000 years each, and we are coming out of the dark phase, that means we're entering 20,000 years of being in the growing light phases. And this feels like something possibly good to look forward to. So I want to stop here, though, for a moment and talk about what I found challenging about the book, because the same thing that brought me a little bit of peace or a little bit of hope, the idea that the death of the goddess was a part of a larger cycle was also something that brought some difficult feelings because of the logic Demetra followed with this idea I'm not going to go into it with a lot of detail um, because the good far outweighs this aspect in my experience of reading Demetra's book, but I did find on pages 96 to 107, they were really emotionally triggering for me. Reason I had a hard time with this section of the book is because I felt like it was bypassing um, important emotional experiences that anyone who has been victimized feels. Don't get me wrong, I accidentally bypassed myself and others all the time. I don't mean to, of course, but like learning to go at my body's pace, being with pain and suffering without trying to fix it or find the spiritual silver lining is a learned skill that takes time to develop and I am by no means great at it. But I'm also a deep feeling person. So reading about the destruction of the goddess and the oppression of women triggered a lot of emotions because of my personal history of trauma and having those emotions rise up then reading on page 96 that I need to release attitudes of victimhood, which reinforce my sense of powerlessness, felt like I was being a little bit slapped in the face. It made my butt turn inward. The more I read about the perception of oppressor and victim, I got angrier I became. I just don't understand why there was a whole chapter about women learning to forgive and see the unity of all humanity, and there isn't a chapter helping men understand how they oppress women. The solution to the problem of women being oppressed felt like it was in women's hands. Like, women, stop seeing yourself as the victim, develop compassion and forgiveness, let go of your anger, and realize the oppression you experience or your ancestors experience was just a phase of a larger cycle. Demetra sums up patriarchy and its oppressive, destructive qualities as a natural cyclical process of the goddess, which wouldn't be problematic for me if this whole chapter was different or if it was a chapter that like, or if there was even a chapter that existed that explained how men and changed behaviors and patriarchal systems being destroyed and rebuilt and changes in society structures were pointed out as being the solution, not women changing their victim thinking. Yeah, so like I kind of deeply disagreed with that chapter in the book and definitely don't like the spiritual bypassing part of it, but it was in the 90s and we're all learning and growing, so it doesn't ruin the experience for me, but it definitely triggered some fire in my belly. 
Despite my emotional triggers, the book is, of course, changing how I approach my moon rituals and my art journal. When I first started art journaling with the moon, I started with the new and full moon phases. Then I played for a while with the eight lunar phases. That journey helped me deepen my experience and appreciation of all the phases. Then I started a daily art journal practice where I sat with the energy of the moon as it moved through the zodiac signs, which has also been really rewarding and enlightening, and I really have appreciated. I can tell after reading Demetra's book, though, I feel this pull um, to go with my art journal and to just be with the new full and dark moon phases to deepen my relationship with the triple goddess archetype. I want to experience the lunar cycle as a division of three phases I play with for a while and see how that feels. The book also deepened my connection to the goddess and goddess archetypes. I didn't dive into that part of the book in this episode because there was already so much to say, but Demetra's descriptions of Medusa and Lilith and Nyx and the Daughters of the Night and Demetra and Persephone are rich and will be chapters I revisit again and again. I also now want to draw more goddesses in my art journal and include more goddess symbols like the snake and the curved knife. I want to read Demetra's books about asteroid goddess to bring even more of those archetypes into my life and my magic. As you can tell, I'm sure this book for me is not a one-time read. This is going to be a little bit of a deep journey inward with the mythology that I'll revisit again and again. I hope you enjoyed my journey with this book. And if you're part of my Facebook Art Journal with the Moon community and you read the book too, let me know what you thought of it there. Or if you're not part of the group, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear what your experience with the book is like. If you'd like to get the show notes and links I share in this episode, head to danadapont.com forward slash podcast. That's D-A-N-A-D-A-P-O-N-T-E dot com forward slash podcast. If you know a witch who'd love this episode, please share it with them so they can be inspired by the books we read here too, which is who read together, get free together. Also, so you don't miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, leave a review on your podcast app. It helps me grow and improves accessibility to other listeners. Plus, my heart does a little hapty loop de loop when I receive a little support and love. We all need a little more love in our lives. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.